Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for March 19th, 2017. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jack Steen, co-pastor with Russ Steen at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, So What Do You Say? He knew the law backwards and forwards. He was a good Jew like that. He knew the law. And he was both a rule follower and a rule bender. I know all about being a rule follower. I am one, too. When our sons were young, and we would eat at Jason's Deli, but they wanted to eat next door at Qdoba, but they still wanted ice cream from Jason's, because let's face it, free ice cream is why we all eat at Jason's. I made them ask the manager if it was permissible, since they had not bought their meal there, to come over and get ice cream there. He said yes. So now you don't have to ask. That one's covered. If somebody, now somebody has to eat at Jason's. You can't just go to Qdoba and walk next door and get Jason's ice cream. (laughs) Nobody's going to permit that. But if one in your party eats at Jason's, I've got you covered that the people from Witch Witch and Qdoba can come have ice cream. Okay? You're welcome. Yeah. You've been worried about your trouble and you've been worried about it. If I'm visiting in the hospital and we pass elevators that say staff only, some people will get on those elevators. Not me. It clearly states the rule, staff only. I'm not staff, so I don't use those elevators. I use the ones that are for visitors because that's what I am, a visitor. I don't think it's right for one of us to get water and the other of us to get Coke and both of us drink the Coke and keep getting refills. You laugh because you've done it. I don't think it's right or ethical or moral or good. So stop doing that. Get your own Coke or don't drink Coke. So you see, I'm a rule follower. Jesus and I, we're just like this on rule followers. Don't murder anyone. Got it. Refrain from cheating on my husband. Check. Don't lie. Okay, well, at least most of the time. Talk to me sometime about how I got suspended from school for three days my senior year in high school for lying. I would like to add that I was ambushed by the mean teacher. Um, But I'll not try and defend myself, I'll claim it. I lied, I did my time. As my dad said, serve your time like a man. I don't know what that means, but I tried to do it. I feel like I learned a hard lesson at the ripe old age of 17 
and I have really tried not to lie since. Moving on. Seek retaliation. That was the rule. I can get on board with that. I like revenge as much as the next person. But alas, Jesus is going to go to some serious meddling and take a very different path on this one. And also the one about hating your enemy. Jesus makes this so difficult. I would be so great at hating my enemy. But he takes that rule and he changes it a bit. He knew the rules, but he also knew how to bend them and break them and form them in ways that would help us be less legalistic and more fully who God created us to be. That's what this section is about. It's about being less legalistic and more fully who God created us to be. Last week, Russ called the Sermon on the Mount exquisite. And I think that's the perfect word for these teachings. In this Lenten season, we are looking at this sermon as a whole in parts to guide us towards Easter. The truth is, each one of these six imperatives need its own sermon. So I can't take them apart or we'd be here all day. But last week, with the Beatitudes, we learned a lesson on how to be blessed. And this week's lesson from these six imperatives, we learn a lesson on how to be wise. Our path towards wisdom is to be a rule follower, a rule keeper, a rule enforcer, except Jesus changes the rules on us a little bit. Or maybe he doesn't change them as he expands upon them. And in so doing, Jesus makes our lives much more difficult. If you take notes, you can write that one down. Jesus will make your life more difficult. Should you choose to sign on, your life is going to be more difficult. So let me get this straight. Don't murder and don't be angry. Don't cheat on your spouse and don't admire someone in lustful ways. Don't tell an untruth and on top of that, always, always, always tell the truth, no matter what. Divorce. This is such a we need three sermons on this. This is such a tricky one to discuss in a culture that is so far removed from this one when it comes to women. So I just, I've got to take just a little tiny aside here because I'm so afraid that we read this and you get so distracted because maybe you're divorced or maybe your child is divorced or maybe you're thinking about getting a divorce and you hear this and it's so distracting. So let me say just a word about this. Um, in many respects, Jesus' teaching on adultery should not be scandalous. The law already forbid it. But Jesus' teaching gives voice to the danger of lust that leads to adultery. And warnings about lust are also commonplace in Scripture. I can quote you different 
text. Even the law forbids coveting a neighbor's wife because she is a possession. It falls in the list of things that another possesses and owns. So far from merely seeing women as property to be coveted by men, Jesus' teachings here and in other places about adultery and divorce reinforces the dignity of women. And it warns against a culture of male privilege. So these are hard words for us to kind of get a hold of. But in the first century, most women are dependent upon their fathers or their husbands for their daily livelihood to be used and discarded for another's sexual desires had repercussions because they were property. Here, what Jesus is saying about adultery and divorce is liberation for these cattle. It's liberation for women to be seen and treated as full disciples. So when you read these words about what happens with women, you have to understand Jesus is speaking the most profound words of liberation for women. They were fully human beings that deserve to be treated in ways other than their sexual existence. So that's my aside on that. But I'd love to say a lot more, but I'm not going to today. Back to these imperatives. Don't seek revenge to the point that you turn cheeks and go extra miles and give your stuff away and give to beggars with no questions asked. Like even if they take advantage of you and don't spend what you give in healthy or helpful ways. And on top of all of this, I have to love people that do me harm. That treat me wrong. I have to love them. This is getting, I mean, let's just admit it, ridiculous. Jesus is calling us to a way of life that is too difficult. He's calling us to a way of life that is impossible. Jesus is calling us to be like God. Not to be God, but to be fully like God. And so Jesus offers six imperatives. Six times he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, In six areas of my life, I've got to change. This is asking a lot. It's asking too much. Every commentary I read on these six antitheses, the word hyperbole was used to characterize what Jesus was trying to get across to us. He didn't mean you literally had to cut off your hand if you do something wrong with it, but he certainly got our attention, didn't he? The topics themselves are breathtaking in scope. Murder, adultery, divorce, anger, love. Each topic, Jesus stands conventional wisdom on its head. Our real problem, he says, is not murder, 
but the anger that lies at its core. Our real problem is not ultimately adultery, but the lust in our hearts. Our real problem, he says, is not when we allow divorce, but our real problem is brokenness of relationship. Jesus is trying in this section of the sermon to teach not just the law, but the intentions behind the law. And each of these laws has to do with relationships. Every single imperative has to do with relationships. Notice that each of these different injunctions concern how we treat each other. Jesus doesn't just heighten the force of the law, he broadens it. It's not enough to refrain from murder. We have to treat each other with respect, and that means not using hateful words. We're not good at that. It's not enough to avoid physically committing adultery. We should also not objectify other persons by seeing them as a means to satisfy our physical desires by lusting after them. We're not good at that. It's not enough to follow the letter of the law regarding divorce. We should not treat people as disposable and should make sure that the most vulnerable in this culture was women and children are provided for. That's all Jesus is saying here. These women are actual, live human beings that should be treated with respect and dignity. No vulgarity towards women. Period. I canceled my sermon series on women because we're just not there yet to be able to talk about it in our culture. But that's what this is about. Treating women with dignity and respect. Period. Period. But that's just one thing this is about. I have to go on because you've got to love your enemies too. Oh, that's so hard. When I think about people that are disrespectful to women, i got to love them. I don't want to. I, I, what did I say to write down? Write this down. Jesus makes our lives much more difficult. Shoot. I don't want to love people that are ugly. Do you? I said in this political season, I wasn't going to leave my manuscript because you get in a lot of trouble. So I'm going to go back. It's not enough to keep ourselves from swearing falsely or lying to others. We should speak and act truthfully in all of our dealings so that we don't need to make an oath about it at all. My yes is yes. I don't have to swear to it. My no is no. I don't have to promise that. My word should be good. So you see what I mean? All the hyperbole about cutting off body parts and plucking out your eye and burning in hell... It just is a way for Jesus to make this very strong point that relationship is all we have with each other, with God. This is all we've got, and it is ultimately the most important thing. Jesus wants his disciples to be people of integrity, people who are faithful to their promises, people who have no need to swear that they're telling the truth because they are truth-tellers, and you know they're a truth-teller. 
They should be people who honor their commitments in marriage and in all relationships, who respect the commitments that other people have made. The women in their midst are not people to be used and abandoned. They are fellow disciples. They're among the ones who are now, now blessed by God's reign. For the church to claim Jesus' message of God's kingdom come, it must strive to be the kind of place that reflects God's reign. And these antitheses, Jesus provides a glimpse what it would look like to be God. You want to be wise? You will put relationships first and follow these rules, including the, but I say to you. You want to be wise? Then you will be perfect like God is perfect. Is that really too much to ask for? The final meditation in the bulletin is Eugene Peterson's translation of be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives toward you. I've often wondered if 2,000 years ago, Jesus took the law and said, you've heard it said, but now I say to you, I just wonder how the conversation might go today if Jesus were in this pulpit. You've heard that it was said, and then I said, but now, in a new day and a new world, this is what I say to you. I just wonder what he would add today, how he would bend it today, how he would form these laws today, how would he push us farther today than he did 2,000 years ago. How would he call us to live? How would he keep pushing the boundaries of the law? And how would the rules expand for even more inclusion and welcome and hospitality and grace? But I guess the real question is not so much what did Jesus say? What do you say? What are your rules? What do you say? What does it mean to be like God? What do you say? It might be a helpful exercise for you to write your own sermon on the mound. How would you push the boundaries of love? What do you say? May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding.
today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you. Thank you.